During the Easter and Pentecost seasons this year at Kenilworth Union, Joe and Katie and I are going to be preaching a sermon series called The Image of God, and it's meant to be a companion series to the Monday night classes. We're beginning tomorrow night. Joe will tell you about those in just a moment. Um, As we were talking in staff the last few months, we all shared our shock that we live in a world where Harvey Weinstein and Larry Nassar are even possible and where unarmed black men are still shot in their own backyards. And so the subtitle for this sermon series might be Theological Resources for a World of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. We're going to be thinking about how we can see the image of God in the other and in the different. This is the first in that series. It's Doubting Thomas Sunday. The gospel lesson is from John 20. When it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. Later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have a favorite disciple. Do you have a favorite disciple? My favorite disciple has always been St. Andrew because he is the patron saint of evangelists everywhere, because in the Gospels, Andrew is always dragging people to meet Jesus. He's also, of course, the patron saint of Scotland, and therefore of Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods and Augusta and Glenlivet. Andrew is my favorite. But as I get older, St. Thomas is actually approaching St. Andrew in my affections. I was raised in western Michigan, among evangelical Christians of fixed, muscular, and implacable faith. So I got used every Sunday after Easter, every spring, to my preachers and Sunday school teachers scolding Thomas for his insistence that he had to see before he believed. But the older I get, the more thankful I am that Someone like Thomas is so prominent in the Gospel of John and that Jesus is so gentle towards an understanding of his legendary skepticism. Because I'm a lot like Thomas, maybe you are too. I've seen a lot of crucifixions in my day, not very many empty tombs. And you know, in the present day, our world lurches between promise and disappointment And so intelligent Christians and intelligent Americans should be miserly with their credulities. Yes, we should be penurious with our intellectual assent. Faith is like money. 
Faith is a currency, so you don't waste it on that which is unworthy. On, for instance, the National Enquirer or World Wrestling or UFO sightings or fake news from Russia on Facebook. We should be miserly with our credulities, like Thomas. After Thomas finally meets the risen Lord, after all, he lets loose with the most extravagant confession of faith anywhere in the Gospels. My Lord and my God is what he says. He starts with, unless I touch the nail prints in his hands and run my finger along his lanced flank, I will not believe. That's where he begins, but he ends with, my Lord and my God. He begins with wary skepticism, but ends with lavish doxology. And what we learn from St. Thomas is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is despair. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is acquiescence. The opposite of hope is not doubt. The opposite of hope is giving up. Frederick Buechner says, Whether your faith is that there is a God or whether your faith is that there is no God, if you tell yourself you don't have any faith or any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or you are asleep. Now Martin Luther King was a man of towering faith, yet all his life his soul was riven with constant doubt. One day in September of 1966, Andrew Young couldn't get Martin Luther King out of his bed. He was so depressed. They'd been in the middle of a campaign to integrate the schools in Granada County, Mississippi. One morning, a few days before Martin Luther King stayed in his bed, 150 black children went into the schools, an elementary school and a high school in Grenada, and instantly all the white children walked out. So no class, no teachers, no children. The black students left a little while. And as soon as they walked outside the school building, this, this crowd of grown men surrounded them. M grown men beat a 12-year-old boy and broke his leg with iron pipes. They pummeled a 12-year-old girl with pigtails. This is three years after Bull Connor's fire hoses and police dogs shocked America in Birmingham. And Dr. King thought he'd been defeated. He had severely underestimated the racism of white America. But then, of course, 18 months later, on April 3, 1968, 50 years ago this week, he launched the second greatest speech of his life. I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. Uh, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Mine eyes have seen many crucifixions, but I've also seen an open tomb. Mine eyes have seen many Golgothas, but I've also met the risen Lord. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's giving up. So it's been 50 years. That seems like a long time to be fighting the same battle, doesn't it? How are we doing? On January 19, 2002, the community of Lauder Hill, Florida, not far from Fort Lauderdale, wanted to throw a town-wide celebration of the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And as part of this celebration of Dr. King's life, they wanted to honor James Earl Jones. You know who that is, right? Legendary African-American actor of screen and stage and radio, the voice of Darth Vader, the voice of Mufasa, the voice that God now regrets having given away. And the town folk were going to give James Earl Jones a plaque honoring 
all of his commitments to amplifying the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. But when the plaque arrived from the workshop, it said, thank you, James Earl Ray, for keeping the dream alive. Honest mistake, but it's sort of emblematic of the civil rights effort in these 50 years, isn't it? A friend of mine was raised in a pious, observant Christian family. She went to church a hundred times a year, she says. Uh, but she's not been back to church since she was married there 30 years ago. She's about my age, which means that she came of age probably about 1968. And I asked her why she's not raising her family the way she was raised by her own family, where she'd come from. And she said, at Sunday school when I was a child, we would sing red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And then on Monday morning, my mother would forbid me from playing with our black neighbors. I had already figured out that the church's platitudes were hollow and empty. I was six years old. Do you know the name Willie O'Ree? Willie O'Ree is a black Canadian. He was born in 1935 in New Brunswick, Canada. And when he took the ice on January 18, 1958, 60 years ago, Willie became the first black hockey player in the NHL for the Boston Bruins. They call him hockey's Jackie Robinson. When Willie was playing hockey for the Bruins, fans would throw black cats and cotton balls on the ice. So today, in 2018, people like to talk to Willie about the slurs he experienced back then, 60 years ago. And Willie always says, back then? What do you mean, back then? Let me tell you something that happened a few days ago. I was traveling for work, and I went onto the elevator at the hotel, and I caught the eye of a man who was exiting the elevator, and he took one look at the color of my skin and unleashed a racial epithet. He'd never met me. Wayne Simmons is another black Canadian. Wayne skates for the Philadelphia Flyers. Fran, fans throw banana peels on the ice when Wayne shows up in the arena. This happened in 2011. Jesse Jackson pointed out something very important. Jesse, of course, was 26 years old on April 4, 1968, outside the Lorraine Motel. And he says how he lived is why he died. I think he's right about that. How he lived is why he died. Now we forget that, right? The instant he died, America canonized Dr. King as a secular saint. 30,000 people attended his funeral, including 80 U.S. senators and representatives. He is the only American, and with Jesus, the only human being, who has his own holiday with a name on it. But we, we forget that when he was alive, he was the most hated American since Abraham Lincoln. If you are going to campaign for wider freedoms, your fellow citizens will hate you. I remember this. Do you remember this? The language and the attitude we had, we white Americans had toward Dr. King in the 1960s. We use the same language about him as many white Americans use today about Colin Kaepernick. That's the exact analog. 
So mine eyes have seen so many Golgothas in 50 years, but also an empty tomb. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it is giving up. And so we become Easter people by honoring and continuing the legacy he had to give up when he died at the age of 39. And so we remember what he was doing in Memphis, right? Trying to support a strike by sanitation workers who were earning 65 cents an hour, no overtime, no benefits. Most of them were on food stamps because they couldn't support their families on what the city of Memphis, Memphis paid them. And so for us 50 years later, right, we support livable wages for the people with the most elementary jobs, school teachers, child care workers, baristas, custodians. And we work to close the wage gap between black and white and men and women. It is not fair that women earn 70% of what men earn. And we cross the borders of the ghettos that divide us. Schools in 2018 are just as segregated as they were in 1968, 14 years after Brown v. Board of Ed. And we remember that monochrome is tedious and that the difference, differences between us are gifts, not threats, enrichments of our common life together. And we hire outside our own clan and kin, right? Because as Fred, Father Greg Boyle put it from his gang ministry in L.A., nothing stops a bullet like a job. And we make sure that our police departments conduct robust psychological testing and thorough training for new recruits so that we properly select and prepare the people we delegate to protect us and send out into harm's way with guns and tasers. Now a lot of us have graduated from the finest universities in the world. In the world. This is the peak of human achievement. University of Chicago, Northwestern, Harvard, Princeton, Stanford. The peak of human achievement. Maybe we start scholarships to fund the education of bright, young high school students who have lots of brains and lots of ideas and lots of creativity and lots of ambition, but no money, so that they can learn from the institutions that taught us how to flourish. In 1963, during the Children's March in Birmingham, when they incarcerated Dr. King at the Birmingham City Jail, on Good Friday, the comedian Dick Gregory said, I was hoping that when they put him in jail on Good Friday, they would check back on Easter morning and he would be gone. And that's exactly what happened five years later in Memphis when they tried to do him in on April 4, 1968, when they tried to silence this vexing revolutionary on his own Good Friday. And so there he lay in a pool of his own blood on the second floor balcony outside room 306 of the Lorraine Motel. But... When they came back to mop it all up later, he wasn't there. He was gone. He'd already fled into the future. Did you happen to see John Legend playing Jesus 
in Superstar on Easter evening. Doesn't get much better than that. While I was watching John Legend be Jesus, I remembered the greatest rap song of all time. The song Glory that he wrote for the movie Selma. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with hands up. When it go down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. Welcome to the story we call victory. Coming of the Lord, mine eyes have seen the glory. When the war is done, when it's all said and done, we'll cry glory. Oh, glory.